Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later in the show, you'll hear the story of the masked marauders, the supergroup made up of three Beatles, one member of the Rolling Stones, and an American folk hero. But first, some new music. Every once in a while, Greg, we like to do a review roundup of fresh new music you need to hear, and we've got plenty to listen to right now with spring in bloom. Uh, even though things are tight, things are tough, things are unprecedented, music is still being made. We're going to share our thoughts on some of the recent album releases from new and more established artists alike. First up, a group called Soccer Mommy. That is a little bit of Bloodstream, the opening track on the second album by Soccer Mommy. Its title is Color Theory. I said group before, Greg, but really Soccer Mommy is one young woman, Sophie Allison, who, as a high school student at the Nashville School of the Arts, began recording introspective, folky, emo, indie pop songs on her acoustic guitar, Extraordinary Stuff from the Get-Go, a 2018 debut album, turned a lot of heads, and now we have album number two, Color Theory, so-called because Allison experiences synesthesia, the ability to see sound as colors, and Color Theory presents a set of songs, 10 songs, that represent different moods in terms of color. Let's uh, play a track from the record. We'll come back and give our opinions. This is Crawling in My Skin by Soccer Mommy on Sound Opinions. That is Crawling In My Skin from Soccer Mommy's new album, uh, Color Theory. There's a lot here that I love. The fact that she's so transparent about her life, no mincing of words, 
the directness here, the the voice, very clear, devoid of melodrama, the way she's presenting these uh, vignettes to us. You know, and and the words are harrowing. It's it, there, there's some really tough stuff, some tragic stuff. You know, when that song "Yellow is the color of her eyes," where I believe mm. she's speaking about her mother, who's um, suffering through this terminal illness, something that she's been suffering with since Allison was a preteen. idea that she's singing about this in this really moving fashion over what almost sounds like a lullaby you know it's yeah. a, it's it's almost it disarms you and you're thinking oh this is a nice sweet song and then you're listening to it and she's really pouring her heart out about her mother's struggle and the other song i sort of gravitate toward is bloodstream where we bump at the top of the segment here uh, that sort of dreamy poppy melody i think that's her go-to move she she kind of lulls you into this false sense of things are beautiful and, and somewhat blissful, even though they're not. And then that song breaks into that scratchy guitar solo at the end, and you kind yes. of realize she's really singing about depression here. There's someone talking in my forehead that says, I'll never be enough. So I wish there was more drama in the music that sort of reflected what's going on in, the, in these songs. I, I feel in some ways she pulled her punches a little bit because the debut album was so striking I almost feel like the songs here are a little bit samey musically. She kind of goes to that dreamy, poppy melody thing a little too often, a little bit too mid-tempo-y. What could have been a great album is merely a good one. Wow, I disagree, Greg. I think this is a great album. I think it's an improvement on the debut. I think, like music throughout time, uh, whether you're talking about the blues or opera, sometimes great beauty and melody is paired with emotionally draining and powerful uh, and difficult Mm. lyrics. When she sings about her depression on Crawling in My Skin, that song we played, sedate me all the time. Don't leave me with my mind. I get chills up and down every time, even though the music is a contrast. The music is a contrast because, as with synesthesia, she is seeing and envisioning something better. The music is is giving her catharsis to get out of this dark hole, something many people can relate to at this point in time, and uh, it certainly has been doing that for me. I think this is a great record. That is No Rock Save in Roll from the new Corner Shop album, England is a Garden. Corner Shop, a band out of uh, the UK, actually uh, formed by a uh, Asian Im- immigrant uh, named Jinder Singh and his pal Ben Ayers in the early 90s. They went on to have a huge hit called Brimful of Asha that was number one in, in England in the in late 90s. Who's ever going to forget, you know, Greg, yeah. uh, uh, everybody needs a bosom for a pillow. Everybody needs a bosom 
absolutely. And uh, the, the band was a, was a comfort <laughs> for me yeah. during that era. Part of a cool uh, movement of Indian music coming out of England at the time, uh, London's Asian Dub Foundation, uh, as well as Apache Indian, uh, were part of that scene. There was a DJ, not to be confused with Jinder Singh, Talvin Singh, who had a huge record called OK that won the 1999 Mercury Prize. It was a great uh, era for this kind of politically charged underground that was developing. Corner Shop has maintained uh, since then uh, with, with uh, Zing and, and Ayers, the, the two constant members. Uh, now they have a new album out called England is a Garden. We're going to review it in a second. Here's a track from it called St. Marie Under Cannon on Sound of Kingdoms. St. Marie Under Cannon by Corner Shop from the new album England is a Garden, the ninth of their career, Greg. I am uh, embarrassed to say, embarrassed, I tell you, uh, that, that I thought there were two Corner Shop albums, the first one with the huge hit, Brimful of Asha, <laughs> and then a follow-up that I remember being vaguely disappointing. In fact, this is the ninth album. Uh, mm. Granted, there has not been an album of new material since 2012, but this is... Uh, a breath of fresh air. It made me fall in love deeply with this band again. Um, you know, it, it seems as if they are still very much connected to the roots of bringing together a sort of Britpop sound with the Indian influences of, of Singh's native country. The way there is an interplay here between sitar and flute and uh, chirping birds at times. Yeah. It is a, a, as much of an evocation of one vision of jolly old England uh, as Pink Floyd was, you know. Uh, but there also is that dark undercurrent because by being a man of Asian descent, uh, sing, sings about uh, walking down the street and being subject to uh, slurs and possibly being beaten up. I think this is a brilliant album, 11 of the tracks, and then it has one of the worst songs I've ever heard, which you chose to bump in with. I'm going to give you a Jim Deere Goddess uh, uh, theory of music criticism. There
there has never been a good song with rock and roll in the title except for <laughs> Lou Reed's Rock and Roll, Velvet Underground song, right? Well, Otherwise, there was. I, I, you're gonna you, you debate that, and we can you, you mull that over in weeks to come. We can do a show on that. No rock save and roll. It's just the dumbest song I've heard in in maybe you know like this decade. Well, I think that uh, their tribute to the North Country where Ginger Singh grew up in, you know, this is where he came from. This is this is also the, the land he of Robert Plant and, and John Bonham. This is that uh, heavy metal you know. sound, man. This is like, <laughs> this is the stuff, that bluesy stump, that's all over that. So I, I, I disagree with you heartily on, on I'm going to create a playlist with the whole album except for that song because it derails me every time. Well, I think this is a perfect record. I, I do love this record. I think it's the best uh, since the Brimful of Asha days, which, you know, I suppose some people might say, well, that's, that's not really saying a lot. But, uh, you know, I thought the, the, uh, the brilliance of When I Was Born for the Seventh Time, uh, which, you know, had the Brimful of Asha single on it, is equaled by England is a Garden uh, here almost uh, more than 20 years later, which is a remarkable achievement when you think about it. You know, still being able to crank out great work here in this period of time. I mean, St. Marie Under Cannon, what a song. That, that is sort a of garagey Motown yeah. vibe that they've got there, that bouncy Hammond organ. And then they're talking about colonialism and the March of Black Boots. Well, I mean, there are these undercurrents of political commentary it, it, and then these great of... tunes. Think of Village Green Preservation Society by the Kinks. It's quintessentially English, but from the uh, social observer distanced uh, scoffing part. I think uh, the, the combination of uh, politics with this multi-genre, multi-continental music is the corner shop calling card, and they are back doing it better than ever on this record. After the break, we've got more reviews of new albums you need to hear this spring. That is in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim Duragatis. And this week we're doing a review roundup. We're sharing our thoughts on some new albums by artists you might not know. Next up, U.S. Girls. Here's what happens, baby, when they put you on That is Born to Lose from U.S. Girls' new album, Heavy Light. Greg, much like Soccer Mommy, U.S. Girls started out as a one-woman project. Megan Remy was recording in Philadelphia in the mid-2000s with a big old reel-to-reel machine experimenting with uh, extremely noisy uh, tape experimentation, noise loop, noise guitar, chaos, 
uh, and has evolved ever since on quite a few recordings. I think probably a, a cornerstone in that evolution was when she moved to Toronto, Canada. We have seen her do glam rock. We have seen her do girl group sounds. We have seen her do straight up pop. And as I said, starting out with noise rock. So the question when presented with a new U.S. girls record is what is Megan Remy giving us this time? Let's play a song from Heavy Light and we'll come back and give our reviews. This is State House, It's a Man's World by U.S. Girls on Sound Opinions. State House, It's a Man's World from the U.S. Girls album, Heavy Light. Uh, extra points if you recognize that Ronette's Be My Baby beat in that song. Hal Blaine's uh, immortal drum beat oh, being yeah. uh, repurposed there. And, you know, Megan Remy loves to reference pop culture, you know, trinkets from the 60s and 70s. You know, this album is rife with them once again. You know, whether it's the Ronettes or dropping a, a woolly bully quote from Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs, they are throughout this record. You know, to me, this is a disappointing record. I, I was really, I had high hopes for it based on the previous U.S. Girls record. Her pop references combined with some real substance in the lyrics. And I think, again, she's making a, a valid attempt at doing that in the first half of this record. But the second half of this record is really hard to listen to. I think Woodstock 99 and oh, yeah. the quiver to the bomb, there's the, these bombastic, almost Broadway-esque kind of songs that really bring this record down. And, and sort of muddy up the message that she's trying to, to leave here. To me, Heavy Light is a real disappointment coming after the triumphant uh, 2018 album that she released in a poem, Unlimited. I, I think her problem is focus, Greg. 
Um, you know, Megan Remy, uh, U.S. Girls, wants to do everything at once. When she has focused on, say, glam rock, gem, right, that record, it is, it is not the freshest thing, but she is taking a new perspective, at least, to a genre we know. She did the same with noise early on, and I think with girl group sounds throughout. But this, she's kind of all over the map. Woodstock 99, of course, references the third or the second revival concert honoring Woodstock, the one that ended in in chaos and assaults and, and ugliness. And in the middle, we get a little of MacArthur Park for no good reason whatsoever. I, I do not understand that. I look, someone left my cake out in the rain And I don't think that I can take Can it be done? Yeah. Should it be done? I, I don't think so. I didn't understand why. I found myself scratching my head uh, about this record a lot, and it's way overproduced. You know, it, it seems to have been like a uh, graduate study on on. Can I produce all these disparate sounds and, and tie them together? Yeah, they go down on tape uh, in a real shiny way, but it doesn't move me at all. That is a track called Miss United States from the self-titled debut album by a new band out of Chicago called Rookie. The band was founded by a couple of guys, uh, Max Liebman and uh, Joe Bordenero, who have been kicking around the Chicago scene for a number of years, local indie rock mainstays. And then they got together in 2018, started releasing some singles, uh, Let's Get It Right and One Way Ticket, that established them right away as being part of uh, another mini scene that's sort of cropping up in Chicago in recent years, sort of a classic rock influence scene. Uh, we're seeing bands like Twin Peaks and Whitney unabashedly referencing 60s and 70s influences, and that's what you heard in those early singles. They're included on this debut record. It's uh, called Rookie, after the name of the band, released on Bloodshot Records, but it's not a typical Bloodshot Records release, as you will hear. Here's a track from the new record. It's called Hold On Tight from the band Rookie on Sound Opinion.
Hold On Tight by Rookie. Uh, Greg, <laughs> what a first of uh, of good time rock and roll. Pour me a beer. No, make it a pitcher. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's hard to enjoy right now because I want to be hearing this at the hideout or the empty bottle. And, you know, the state of Clubland has been devastated and, and hopefully we'll be able to get back to it. So you have six super smart, uh, furry, you know, long-haired, you know, hipster-dressed uh, Chicago uh, millennials who uh, love their mom and dad's Cheap Trick collection, and they've, uh, you know, of course, Big Star, that's obligatory, and I hear a little bit of Thin Lizzy in there at times, mm, too, yeah, and, sure. and you're saying, oh, you know, all right, why should I care? Well, you know, we could have compared, say, the replacements to that early on. They made you care. They made you care with sheer earnestness and conviction. Now, have they given us songs as deep as uh, Unsatisfied yet? No. But this is this is the opening salvo of uh, we are young, we are loud, we are having the time of our lives. Here it goes, uh, one, two, three, four. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see where this band develops because the melodic sense is already there. The energy is there. What have they got to say is what's going to be, you know, uh, really interesting as they move on. Right now, they're just saying, we're having fun, <laughs> and that's well, okay. I, I think that's a good message and uh, certainly a necessary one at a time like this that we need to hear some of that. You know, you're absolutely right. At this, this is the kind of band you want to hear at closing time at your favorite bar, right? Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, we can't go to a bar right now, but we can crank this record up. Uh, you know, what's going on here, to me, Jim, it's you know it's retro, but to me it it's always about are the songs there? And you know when I listen to a track like Hold On Tight, that's like two and a half minutes where they pack all this information in there. There's a great riff that kicks it off. There's a bit of a glam feel to those vocals when they leap into falsetto and they got that call and response thing going on. And there's a little guitar commentary in there. There's a quick drum fill that's pretty exciting. There's a bridge into that guitar breakdown. And then a solo, a guitar solo that's, that's bringing the song to a close. And you go, man! That's a lot of stuff going on in two and a half minutes. It's awesome. I mean, the hook but after all hook after sense. hook. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, what I'm hearing here is a band that has a little bit of savvy, uh, more than a little bit of savvy, a lot of savvy in terms of putting together songs, good arrangements, solid melodies. There's a surprising country feel to some of these songs. Uh, maybe what, why Bloodshot signed them, you know, the insurgent country label signed this band. Pedal steel guitar on sunglasses and the, those acoustic guitars and a little bit of pedal steel on that song, Elementary Blues. Arguably the best-looking jerk on the block, this is my time. There's Ullman Brothers in the mix, too, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so they're bringing in a lot of different flavors here. It's not just kind of a one-trick pony kind of band. But as you said, they're bringing in all these different kind of influences. And again, the songs are key. They've got songs. And now it's a case of how do they build this into a career. 
That is a little bit of a song called Hickama by Angelica Garcia. Greg, the third uh, one-woman act, for all intents and purposes, of this record review roundup show. Uh, raised in Los Angeles, uh, later based in Richmond, Virginia. Angelica Garcia, a woman with Mexican and Salvadoran roots and a voracious appetite for music. She had relatives who played in banda and ranchera bands. She uh, was fascinated with acts uh, from the indie world like Bat for Lashes and M.I.A. Her stepfather was longtime manager of Los Lobos and Dwight Yoakam. I mean, this this woman grew up surrounded by every kind of music you could uh, possibly consider. And oh, by the way, she took jazz and classical classes at the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. She released her debut album in 2016, Medicine for Birds. It began to build some of the buzz. That one was recorded in Nashville. Uh, she really got a boost when uh, a certain guy from Chicago tweeted about how much he loved Hickama. That, that would be former President <laughs> Barack Obama. Mm. So Hickama appears on the new album in not one, not two, but three different versions, two edits that are both ironically longer than the original. We're going to play a different song, Guadalupe, and we'll come back and give our reviews. Angelica Garcia on Sound Opinions. Guadalupe from the new Angelica Garcia record, Cha-Cha Palace. Jim, I'm not going to play my cards close to the vest on this one. Uh, right up there with the Corner Shop record. This is a great record. Um, I, yes, I, uh, yes. I think it's a fascinating uh, glimpse. And and, and, and in, I wouldn't say a 180 because it's still very much Angelica Garcia on her debut, Medicine for Birds, but a totally different side of that personality. That was more country influence. I think influenced by the fact that she was moving to Virginia at the time. This is yeah. all about those East L.A. roots, uh, mm -hmm. all about that Mexican and El, El Salvadoran uh, heritage in her bloodline. As she says in this song, Agua de Rosa, you ride the bloodlines of the in-between. I love that line. This whole notion of being the outsider, of never quite fitting in, you know, Latin culture being absorbed by 
uh, North American culture, but at the same time never feeling completely a part of it because of uh, various social issues in this country right now uh, regarding immigration and yeah. you know well, people and she of is, color. She is Go ticked ahead. off about that, Greg. <laughs> well, she is. And, and what a voice. I mean, the versatility yes. of that voice. When I think about the voice that you hear on It Don't Hinder Me, uh, that blazing sense of celebration over those buzzy guitars. And then that beauty that she brings to something like that a cappella choir that she's uh, basically the, the entire choir and the big machine. Or Hickama, as you pointed out, a great song, just voice and percussion. I see you, but you don't see me. That's mm-hmm. the thread that link, you know, links this album together. It's a beautiful collage of all those influences with a larger-than-life personality at the center of it in Angelica Garcia. I mean, talk about a breakthrough album for this uh, artist. I think it's, uh, it's just wonderful. Uh, it's the best album I've heard so far this year, Greg. You know, the reason I wanted to play Guadalupe is it's fascinating to draw on the Catholic religious uh, iconography of the Virgin of Guadalupe, uh, so important to people of Mexican heritage, and to turn that somehow into a feminist anthem. Because in addition to the way that we are treating Latinx people in this country uh, in many corners right now, you know, there is also, uh, you know, the challenge on top of that of being a woman. Angelica Garcia is taking no guff from anybody, but she is doing it with joy. This is an album that as you rage, you want to dance. And I just Mm -hmm. love that. You know, even though she first, uh, you know, broached my radar, Greg, as a buried treasure, uh, I'm shocked by how great this record is. So we are both all over the Angelica Garcia, big fans of The Corner Shop and Rookie as well. Uh, We've told you what we think, but now we want to hear your opinion on these new records or anything else of late that is doing it for you in the music world. Call us at 888-859-1800 and share what you think. After the break, the 1960s rock supergroup that took the nation by storm. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago, distributed by PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis here with my partner, Greg Cott. It is the 50th anniversary of the only album from the greatest rock supergroup ever. Our producer, Alex Claiborne, has the fascinating story. In 1969, supergroups were riding high. Bands like Eric Clapton's Blind Faith and Crosby, Stills & Nash were full of already well-known musicians reaching for new creative and monetary heights. Sadly, the biggest and brightest supergroup has largely been lost to history, the Masked Marauders. 
band had an unbelievable starting five. Bob Dylan, Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, and George Harrison. For those of you doing the math, that's three Beatles, one Stone, and one American folk hero. These giants came together for one album and one album only, recorded during a secret session. The public's first exposure to the Masked Marauders was a glowing review of their self-titled debut album in Rolling Stone magazine. In it, critic T.M. Christian exalted its praises, writing, It's more than a way of life, it is life. Music fans were salivating with anticipation for this album. The only problem? None of it was real. Literally none of it. No Beatles, no Stone, no folk hero, no secret session. This is the story of one of the great music hoaxes of all time, the Masked Marauders. It all began at Rolling Stone in fall of 1969. Remember the critic that I mentioned before, T.M. Christian? He doesn't exist. The original architect was the legendary music critic and author Grail Marcus. Back in 69, he was a 24-year-old political science grad student at the University of California, Berkeley, and a writer and editor for Rolling Stone. Marcus believed there was a lack of authenticity coming from these supergroups, questioning whether their primary intent was making great music or major money. He was also irritated by the way some of his critical peers were falling all over themselves with their complimentary coverage. So he got an idea. Here's what he said to NBC in 2013. It was just an attempt to say, this is stupid, and let's make it even stupider. Under the pseudonym T.M. Christian, Marcus reviewed the self-titled album by the Masked Marauders. He waxed rhapsodic about the album's many wonders, ranging from its luxuriously long cover songs to the shimmering chemistry between megastars and acclaimed producer Al Cooper. After Rolling Stone published the review in the October 1969 issue, many music fans were eager to hear the masterful collab, which, again, unfortunately, did not exist. Then, Langdon Winner, a friend and colleague of Grill Marcus, got an idea. Well, of course, it's been 50 years, so it's always good to talk about works of timeless art. <laughs> After reading Grill's satirical review of The Masked Marauders, he thought it was hilarious and began brainstorming for his weekly radio show. As the show approached that particular week, I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to play some cuts from this non-existent album. Instead of letting it remain a passing thought, Langdon and Greel conferred and decided to make some fake music for real. That's when they reached out to a local group, the Cleanliness and Godliness Skiffle Band. My honey, I know you belong to somebody new. Harmonica player and singer Brian Voorhees noted that the group didn't take itself so seriously that they would deny an opportunity to make music and have some fun. I was quite enthusiastic about at least seeing what it was about and what the possibilities were. So Greel Marcus, Langdon Winner, the Cleanliness and Godliness Skiffle Band, and two additional Berkeley musicians were on board to help bring the Masked Marauders to life. Langdon Winner recounts the fateful session in which they began. So on a particular Wednesday evening, we got together in a uh, recording studio in somebody's garage in South Berkeley. We took out the review from the magazine and started doing songs uh, suggested by the review. 
Phil Marsh, the guitarist for the band, remembered entering the session in the mindset of those they were impersonating. We just kind of went in there and partied down and had a good old, you know, hippie rock and roll time, but also kind of in the back of our minds, yeah, we, we, oh, we get to go in and be like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and Mick Jagger and Bob Dylan, and we get to be those guys for a little while and do anything we want. While some songs were more challenging than others, one felt easy right from the get-go. I Can't Get No Nookie, a parody of the Rolling Stones hit, Satisfaction. Here's Langdon and then Phil on how they got started. Greel Marcus was there. He sat down and scribbled out some lyrics for this song. I was working at the piano and did a kind of piano riff, and then we recorded it, I Can't Get No Nookie with Brian Voorhees singing in the style of Mick Jagger, basically. I think Sympathy for the Devil had just come out, that Stones album, so that was kind of the, the goal there. Two chords and a lot of percussion. As for the vocals, singer Brian Voorhees got some creative direction from Greel about what to do for the verses and lyrics but he added his own touches to personify the spirit of Mick Jagger. Well, the oh, yeah thing was all like me trying to sound like, sound like Jagger, you know. I was really winging it. Everybody else pretty much was, too. The idea with anything like this, of course, is the spirit with which you come out of it, the vibe is much more important than anything like, well, how accurate was it, the imitation. Once we got rolling, it never stopped. We didn't do two takes of that. We went right straight through it. And what you hear is what we did. In the same session, they also recorded an instrumental track, Cow Pie. and a cover of the doo-wop song Duke of Earl in the style of Bob Dylan. So in a very short period of time, this crew had assembled, written, arranged, and recorded these three songs and had them ready for air. The following Friday afternoon, Langdon Winter returned to his radio program on San Francisco's KMPX, armed with the demos, and set the scene for what was about to come. I said, well, we have a special treat today. Cuts from the Mask Marauders album. Many people say this album is a fantasy and does not exist, but we're going to play some cuts for you now. And I said, I'm sure you will agree that the Mask Marauders have never sounded any better. After playing the songs, he immediately started receiving calls from listeners with positive feedback. Most people immediately got the joke. They said, oh, this is fantastic. The Mask Marauders are wonderful. And so that was supposed to be it. Until Langdon Winter received a call from the Warner Brothers Records office in Los Angeles. Basically, they said, do you think you could finish the album as a full LP for us. The people at Warner Brothers were in on the gag, and they thought it would be uh, a, a lot of fun. 
Warner Brothers also offered a $15,000 advance, the equivalent of just over $100,000 today. So after working quickly to finish the songs for the record, the Masked Marauders made their major label debut in November of 1969. It was reported that the LP sold 100,000 copies and cracked number 114 on the Billboard 200, an impressive feat for a record pulled together by a ragtag group of music nerds. So the question is, how many people bought the record because they thought it was really made by some Beatles, a Stone, and Bob Dylan? And how many were in on the gag? Langdon felt it was pretty sonically obvious that this was all a joke. My feeling is if you listened to the music, you knew it wasn't Bob Dylan, you know, or, or Mick Jagger, right? It was people just uh, having fun. But guitarist Phil Marsh had several stories from decades later about people being surprised by the truth. I have run into many people who remember the Masked Marauders album, like this guy I know who went to Harvard, and he said, yeah, we listened to that at my frats, and there was always a huge debate, is it really them or not? And, you know, they never really resolved whether it was really them or not. From my point of view, it was never a, it was never a secret. Beyond rumors and hearsay, the artists mentioned never responded to questions about their involvement, although alleged producer Al Cooper gave the mystique a boost when he responded to inquiries with the magic words, no comment. Today, it seems something like the Masked Marauders would be rather improbable. But back then, as Langdon and Phil both note, music fans were enamored with rock and roll, and that love perhaps clouded their judgment. They were so eager to hear the music and uh, attribute wonderful things to it, that the idea that you could get the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Bob Dylan, and other musicians together was at, at some level taken quite seriously. The rock and roll industry was growing and things were getting kind of out of control and people were starting to like worship rock and roll too much. Even so, the masked marauders remain an inside joke, a footnote in music history to those in the know. But for Langdon Winter and others, it was another opportunity to have fun making music. It was in the spirit of what in those days in the Bay Area were called happenings, where people would get together, have a good time, and then get on with their lives. Singer Brian Voorhees agreed, but doesn't undersell the magnitude of what they achieved. We can literally say, you know, we did something perfect or not, genuine or not. We did do something with global impact. And while we'll never know what a band with three-fourths of the Beatles, Bob Dylan, and Mick Jagger sounds like, we've got a pretty funny guess. I'm Alex Claiborne for Sound Opinions. That is a fantastic piece about one of the weirdest stories in rock history, Greg, by our producer, Alex Claiborne. The Mass Marauders, the supergroup that was neither super nor really a group and, and kind of the biggest scam in rock history, but not the only one. You know, I, I wanted to point out that there were two tremendous fake news stories in 1966, a few years earlier. Paul is dead. The uh, the conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney had died and been replaced by a lookalike. And July of 66 is when Bob Dylan had his motorcycle uh, crash in Woodstock. And uh, many people thought Dylan had died. And it didn't help that he sort of dropped off the radar for the next eight years. 
But even after the mass marauders were exposed, and you would think that after the Paul is dead, Dylan is dead, mass marauders hoaxes had been foisted upon the rock-buying public, you know, it still happened. It happened again in 1977 when a Canadian band called Claytu, named, of course, after uh, the extraterrestrial in uh, the film The Day the Earth Stood Still, began to have regional hits in Canada and then broke big in the U.S. on Capitol Records, the Beatles' old label, and uh, some journalists were claiming that they were, in fact, the Beatles' recording under a new name, Claytu, and many, many people bought this. They made these records huge hits. Uh, it, it helped that the band, which was really only two people, did not include their names or images on the albums, and they never played live. There were two albums that did very well, with many people thinking they were the Beatles. Guess what, Greg? They weren't. <laughs> For more sound opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find those things. As always, the show has been produced via social distancing by Brendan Banizak, Alex Claiborne, Anna Contreras, and Andrew Gill. I left the story of my life on your answering machine. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Uh, yes, hi, this is Allison from Rochester, New York, um, about your episode, Social Distancing on the Desert Island. I have to say, uh, Back Channels by Shearwater. There's something motivating about it. It's suspenseful. It's epic. Uh, it's definitely not dawn. It's like a dusk song. It's like you burnt a match, and the match becomes a line of dust. It's like an internal warrior song. It's just so good. I, I, I couldn't be on the island without it. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Hey, this is Keith from Escanaba, Michigan, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And my song about isolation that I would have loved to hear and that I love myself is Isolation by John Lennon. Don't they know we're so afraid? Isolation. Thank you guys. Love your show. Everybody got to have a home.
my name is Madeline. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. One of my knee-jerk reactions uh, to the self-quarantine was to make a playlist. And one of the first songs that came to mind was Necessary Separation by the Gree Gree. Hey, this is Michael Jafarian, Springfield, Oregon. So how on earth did I miss Johnny Mitchell? I mean, I had heard the hits, but I'd only kind of heard them as background music and never really listened to any of these songs. So your show was kind of my introduction to her, and what an introduction it was. I mean, you only gave us a small dose of things, but with an artist like that, it doesn't take much. So you put on the track California, and here comes this voice. And when she hits that one high note. All the California, California, coming home. I'm going to see the folks I dig. I'll even kiss a sunset peak. California. With such clarity and such purity, it's this strange chill ran through my body. And then you gave us a uh, little green. And I'm like five words into it. And I'm weeping. Born with the moon in cancer. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just a brief experience, but it reminds me that the songwriters who bear their souls so that we can understand our own souls, that is a great and costly gift that they give to us. So, anyhow, thank you, Sound Opinions for bringing us these kinds of uh, deep and powerful experiences. Thanks, bye. He went to California. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.